0: Hey everyone, I'm Brian Conley of Hunters HD Gold, and you're listening to Season 2 of Hunters HD Gold, Behind the Lens. This podcast takes a deep dive into what it takes to be a match director, manufacturer, sponsored shooter, or just an everyday shooter trying to win his or her first major. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Hunters HD Gold, Behind the Lens. Welcome back to another episode of Hunter's HD Go Behind the Lens. Today, I'm sitting down with a, a friend that's become a friend over the past couple of years, Nils Johnson, J- Jonathan, Jonathan. Uh, Yeah, Jonathan, excuse me. <laughs> Nils Jonasson. I knew I was going to rip that apart, but that's okay. Nils, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing fantastic. We're at the Steel Challenge World Speed Shooting Championship. We are at the World Speed Shoot. you do got a lot of things going on with all the different guns you're out here doing and maybe testing and all kinds of things, but we'll get into that in a second. You
1: know, when did you start even shooting? So how far does this go back, so I started shooting right at twenty years ago back in 02. and okay. uh, my dad started shooting a local Tuesday Night Steel match in Mesa, Arizona, uh, which happens to be the home of uh, Rob Latham and Brian Enos and Matt McLaren and Angus Hobdell and guys like that so did when you got started
0: shooting, did they pretty much take you under their wing or just see another kid coming in, or what did that look like?
1: so I wouldn't say it took me under their wing, but just being around those guys and watching them shoot and seeing how they did stuff and why I was on a local match level was mm-hmm. really beneficial for me starting out. So let's back up just a little bit. What did you do before 2002? Uh, well, I was 12 in 2002. So, okay. you know. <laughs> <not a lot. laughs> so you got into So is this something your dad or mom or who got you into shooting? Then? Both my parents got me into shooting. Um, I mean, my first gun was like a, a 22 rifle you okay. know, that I could barely hold. And I pulled the trigger while my dad held it for okay. me. But uh, do you, you remember that? kind of vividly going to the range for the first time? I do. So at the time we were living in Minnesota um, and we lived there for a couple of years mm-hmm. um, and we moved actually from Minnesota to Arizona. And uh, yeah, it was definitely something I remember very vividly. Wow. What do you what can you recall that was the hook
0: to say that it was you know, you know this is something I want to continue to do because we see a lot of kids coming in and out of the sport. Mm. You know you've even seen it now doing the, as long as you've I've, I've seen it just in the five years I've been around but what was the hook that really made you Say this is something I, I think I want to stick with. Was it was your your parents pushing you or is it something to your own
1: your own gratification? What did that look like? So my parents never pushed me to do any kind of shooting. That was that was all me. When when my dad started shooting Tuesday Night Steel in 2002, mm-hmm. um, I came along and watched for a couple of months. OK, OK. Um, and after that i'm like you know what i could do this i want to try it mm-hmm. um but back when i was back in minnesota i was probably six or seven years old and i couldn't hold a rifle i couldn't hold a pistol so you know my dad would set it up and you know i would literally aim through the sight and pull the trigger yep um but it was just something that was it was different and interesting um oddly enough at the time uh we had a VHS tape uh, that was produced by Dylan Precision that starred Rob Latham in it called Shooter Ready. And okay. it's an old school, um, you know, VHS tape. And it's a 20, 30 minute video of him basically demoing ipsic <coughs> shooting. Right. And I probably watched that video hundreds of times. Really? And at, at,
0: at, was he still 12 at this
1: point? Or so it, this was it, it, back it was in Minnesota. When it's okay. like six or seven. Oh, okay. So wow. Young. Okay. Okay. And it's... It's just an entertaining video and he's shooting really fast and it looks it's, it's exciting. OK. Um, so then we moved from Minnesota to Arizona, having no idea that Rio Salado was kind of the mecca of competition shooting in the U.S. Like okay. you've got the best shooters in the world shooting at this one local club. Mm-hmm. So we really lucked into that environment. Did your dad know that? He but did not. Did he, Well, wait, let
0: me back up. Did your dad recognize them before you did when you went there to know that? <laughs>
1: It's possible. Okay. Probably recognize them at the same time. But okay. when we started or when he started shooting Tuesday Night Steel, we had no idea at the time. Right. Like Rob Latham happened to be shooting a weekly steel match that we were shooting. It's right. crazy. Now, when you say steel match back then, what kind of steel shooting was that? Just so it's,
0: organized like steel challenge like we're doing this week? So it's
1: essentially a IPSC or a USPSA style steel match. Okay. So it's steel target. So it's all reactive, but in an IPSC layout. So it's dynamic. It changes every day. Okay. Uh, And there's movement involved.
0: Oh, sweet. Okay, so just like a basic falling steel match you go to now, kind of you know, but just nothing organized as far as any structure back then or anything, right?
1: Correct. Yeah, they they've been doing it for it's probably 30 years at this point. So when you're up there for the first
0: time, I guess it's still Minnesota at that time or are you in in Arizona? Uh so it, in 2002 it was Arizona. Okay. So in Arizona you're out there for the first time getting ready to shoot yep. and you and you you pull the trigger and was there what did, what was that like at that age? What what
1: what you know Oh, I can tell you exactly what it was like. Yeah, whatever. Um, so my first stage, I can tell you, like it was yesterday, it was right. uh, stage one of Tuesday Night Steel. Right. I was shooting a Colt Gold Cup, which is a really nice single stack, mm-hmm. uh, if anybody knows anything about 1911s, with seven round standard length magazines, 45 ACP. Um, and the time of my run is more than, you know, like my average match time now. So I shot the stage in 40 or sorry, 87 something seconds. <laughs> was terrible. Like now I'd shoot the stage in 12 seconds. Right. <laughs> but like my dad was walking behind me, reloading magazines that I dropped off the ground, putting them back in my belt. Cause I just couldn't hit anything. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was hooked super fun. And I mean, it's one thing that, you know, I've started out being absolutely terrible at and I just loved it. Anyways. Now, being at, at age that young, was your dad in the
0: military or police? What what what, what was it? Where did his involvement of in guns come from?
1: Yeah, my dad's a veteran, so yeah, okay. he's, he was in the military. Um, he was in the Army Rangers. Um, but he doesn't uh, didn't really have any exposure to firearms outside of that okay. did your mom ever push back about what you were doing uh-uh. at that age no my mom was super supportive that's and, so cool yeah so you go through this
0: time period of taking 80 plus seconds to finish when a single stage yeah, <laughs> yeah, a single stage when did what what did it look like next for as part as what what was next you know 12 13 when did, when did things start changing to get more organized
1: you know so the Tuesday Night steel match was something that I turned into you know our church right like we would shoot every single tuesday you know once a week we'd shoot every week of the year uh and it's just something that we did on a real consistent basis Mm -hmm. um we started we ventured into USPSA as well okay uh, I think that year These so it was 2002 2003 so you went for shooting
0: steel directly in USPSA correct very cool uh,
1: so I started in production division I think mm-hmm. is a long time ago so yeah That's you know, tough but uh, I remember the first gun that we ever bought for me to shoot in competition was actually a CZ 75B that we bought mm-hmm. at a garage sale for like 200 bucks <laughs> Gra- a garage sale <laughs> yeah. very nice uh, it very came nice. with like eight <laughs> magazines and a Pelican case and a couple hundred rounds of nine millimeter right and I shot that for for several years right and uh put a whole bunch of rounds through it and fortunately this is back when you know primers were fifteen dollars a thousand and exactly. you could get everything and there were no shortages but did uh, you do any training back then for you when us is pspsa was going on did
0: you any training back then or ain't your dad do any training for you or how did you
1: as far as taking classes from uh, other people other or, or, yeah or just being self-taught or just watching stuff on the vhs tape what did that look like so i've never and I'm kind of ashamed to say this. I've never taken a formal training class from anybody. Um, and that's actually one of my larger regrets in competition shooting. Because wow. I would have shortcut a lot of problems that I've had to learn on my own. Okay. But I think quite a bit. Um, especially having Robbie as a resource, local, like not taking advantage of that you know, at the time is kind of one of my larger regards. was Robbie
0: teaching classes back then. Mm-hmm. Oh
1: yeah. Okay. So back early, I didn't
0: know how far in his career. I don't know a lot about his history when he started teaching classes. So, that's so cool. no, he's
1: been doing it for a long time. He's done a bunch of military. And law so being
0: stuff there too. with him like once a week or once a month, easily, you never, he never thought about taking any classes or anything. with no.
1: him. <laughs> wow. So Robbie actually said, if you ever want me to teach you how to shoot, like I'll, I'll, train you until you beat me and then you're on your own, on your own. <laughs> and I, for whatever reason i never took him up on it so. wow wendy do, do you remember when you first beat robbie i don't remember when uh but i remember you know kind of the situation and it was just a local match and he okay. shot terrible and I happened to shoot really well. So okay. it wasn't really a fair, uh, comparison of skill at the right, time. Right. Uh, but over the years, like I, I crept up in my abilities and, and now I kind of consider us rivals. So,
0: yeah. Do you, are y'all still, you know, rivals on the court, we'll call it, and then having, having a nice, you know, dinner together afterwards or, or rival rivals?
1: No. So we've never had that type of rivalry. Uh, maybe, the first year I won USPSA Nationals in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, but Robbie wasn't second. He was third behind Todd Jarrett. Right. So I don't think that really hurt as bad as it would have otherwise. Right. I think Robbie was really happy to see that I won. Now, was that the very first time you won Nationals, you said 2010? It was. Yeah. So you went
0: from 2002 to 2010. Did eight you, years. Yeah. Eight years. Did you win any kind of sections or anything in between there? Yeah. What did that look
1: like? So I had never really traveled to many matches uh, before then. So in okay. 2005, <laughs> 2006, uh, I actually shot Revolver for a little while. Really, and my first USPSA nationals I ever shot was uh, the revolver nationals in Passa Park in Barry, Illinois.
0: What was the fascination of the revolver going from single stack? You know, that's a a lot of different things, a lot of different moving parts cons- as far as reloading and everything else. Yeah. Was it was it the was it the Mitchell days of everything happening around that that made you so in, it interested?
1: W- it was during those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the the nationals that I shot, I finished second to Jerry. Oh uh, wow! And I think I was like. 91 or 92%. Right. Uh, which at the time was really, really good because Jerry was <laughs> the best revolver shooter on planet Earth. Exactly. exactly. Arguably still is. Exactly. But... Um, no, I don't really remember what got me into revolver per se, but I can tell you that it helped me exponentially with like my shooting ability.
0: Okay. Tell me Because it,
1: it's so... It's not complicated because it's really not it's very mm-hmm. simple but it's so much more stuff going on you have to follow through on everything you have to like complete every single shot mm-hmm. before you move on Okay And at the time, like when I started a revolver, I was shot really fast and i didn't hit anything and Then I switched a revolver for probably a two two and a half year stretch and I, everything that i didn 't do before I was forced to do okay let me let me ask you a question based on that
0: because there's a lot of new shooters that come in today, mm-hmm. and some of the shooters are very um well off uh-huh. and just go right in the open, go right to buy the, you know, the six to $10,000 gun. And that's how they get into shooting and open. Yeah. Do you think they're missing out not getting some of the fundamentals of a revolver or single stack or something? Understanding how certain functions of a gun work for the de- timing. Do you think they're missing out on some of that because of what you had to go through to understand like what you just said?
1: Um. Yeah, I would say they're okay. missing out to a degree. Um, I wouldn't fault anybody
0: for doing that. No, of course. Right? I, I just want to get your thought process based on. You said you took that time of revolver, and you were glad you did. Right. So that's why I asked that question.
1: No. So for me, it was very, very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like the the optics or iron sights. I shoot iron sights really well, Mm -hmm. probably because that's what I started with and I've shot it for the last 20 years. Right. Even now, like I'm more comfortable shooting irons than I am optics for whatever reason. Wow. So
0: take me back to 2010 a little bit. And it's your first, was it your first nationals? It would have been my second. Second nationals. And it, 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 you've already, so you've experienced the nationals, but mm-hmm. now it's your second year. Right. Where, where'd you finish nationals the first year you did it? So I finished second revolver to Jerry. Okay. That was the first nationals you ever yeah, did. in 2005, I think. I, I don't know where you go from there. That's it. That's incredible.
1: <laughs> so Because did you win any area matches or anything? Yeah. So the only matches I had shot between 2005 and 2010, as far as major matches, would have been... I shot the International Revolver Championship in California a couple of okay. times. Okay. Um, I believe I won that once in limited division. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I won area two at
0: least once, probably in production okay. division. But So when you walked to the national stage and came in second behind Jerry, was there a lot of people that knew who you were? Nobody knew who I
1: was. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was
0: going because I was like going, you know, social media wasn't really big back then. No. So it's like, where 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 was, where was that? What was that like for you?
1: Uh, well, so it was kind of funny, uh, Jerry McClick, like, actually, during the uh, the awards, he's like, I don't know what they've got down in the water in Arizona, but, you know, somebody needs to get him a wife and a mortgage. <laughs> <A> it's <wife.
0: laughs> wonderful. I hear people say that today with all these kids. Saying, I can't wait for them to grow up and get a car. Right. Well, <laughs>
1: anything. The joke's on him because I've got a wife and a mortgage and I'm still winning stuff. So. <laughs> yes, you do.
0: <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, but so you you go there and, and, and you, you finish second to Jerry and you, and you go into your next
1: national shooting revolver again or shooting. So in 2010. Um, I actually convinced Matt McLaren to build me a limited gun and I shot limited division for the first time, seriously, okay. uh, at, on the national level. Uh, and it was a 40 Cal full dust cover, uh, five inch. And I didn't really have any area experience, like area of match level experience mm-hmm. in limited division, but I'd, I'd shot limited a lot with, um, like a Glock 35. The competitive side of you, mm.
0: Was that all because of firearms or did you do any kind of sports that helped with that in high school?
1: The only sport. So I'm actually home educated. Okay. Uh, so I'm one of the, you know, you could say the ADD kid that, you know, shoots guns because they can laser focus on (laughs) random stuff. Exactly. Um, But no, I never really had any sport involvement in sports outside of USPSI. So this is your this is the sport that where your competitive
0: juices came from and it was just all there. Right. Wow. This week's podcast is brought to you by Kona Gold. Kona Gold is a premier lifestyle brand for those who work hard and play harder. There are many hemp companies out there that get lost in the crowd, but Kona Gold sets the gold standard with its premier line of products. When traveling all around with a magical mystery tour to different matches, I travel around with lots of different flavors, including pink grapefruit, candy apple, and vanilla cherry. Make sure to stop by and get some for yourself. They are all zero calories, zero sugar, use organic hemp, and are THC and CBD free. Competitive shooters love them because there's no shakes, no headaches, and no crash. When you order from conagoldhemp.com, make sure to use discount code HUNTERSHD for another 20% off. So you go to limited, you get, you know, them to build you a gun. And how long did you do limited before you went to nationals?
1: I don't remember exactly, but it would have been probably less than a year shooting That's that, that I was particular thinking. gun. So based on that and going in, how,
0: how deep was the field in limited?
1: Really deep. Okay. Um, so all the top limited shooters were there. Um, obviously, Robbie and Todd. And it would have been like Travis and like all the top limited guys that you see now, minus maybe one or two. Right. So they knew who you were. They so no. Still no. Well, Todd. Well, Todd. Robbie knew who I was. Okay, Robbie. Like going into the match, because um, I wasn't on the super squad in 2010, because it was my first or my second nationals at this point. Mm-hmm. First nationals in limited division. So there was no reason for me to qualify for the super squad. Right. So Robbie and Todd were duking it out. You know, Todd thought for first. And Robbie is like, dude, we're shooting for second place. Right. <laughs> Unless Nils does something silly. Right. right? Um, so Shooting USA, uh, who was covering the match, actually came over and videoed a couple stages and... Because Robbie said, "Like, hey, this kid may actually win." So wow, now this it brings up a great thing there. Do you wish you would have been on the super squad in in at that point? No, okay, it would have been really bad. I'm okay. sure, okay, um, because the the pressures are quite a bit different. They are, and that's where I was going to go with a question I had. Do you think
0: that sh- your opinion? Mm. Do you think there should be a a thing that come? Um, The the top 10 from last year, top 12 should be, you know, be on the super squad and have to shoot a super squad. How do you feel about that?
1: So from a competitive equality standpoint, it does make sense from a weather perspective. Mm -hmm. Right. So if the environmentals are the same for everybody, that's a benefit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think different people respond differently to the pressure. Right. Because it's all self-instigated pressure. Right. Nobody else is actually putting any pressure on you. Right. Exactly. Um, And. I think most of the guys at that level actually thrive in the super squad environment. Okay. Right. So if they were off on a different squad, they don't have anything to compare themselves to. Like they don't have that, you know, extra drive from the pressure mm-hmm. to perform at their best. Okay. Like they're just kind of, you know, jogging through the match. All right. So we'll
0: go back to 2010. Shooting USA is putting you on camera. How'd that feel? I had no idea what to say. Okay. Well, I'm just wondering because you're, you know, you're in a situation where you're homeschooled, you're in a situation where you haven't been exposed to a lot of Mm -hmm. other sporting activities or, you know, and so this is, this is the, this is it. I mean, did you have a, a moment of like, what's happening or, or pride or were you, did you, did you think you like, Hey, I've arrived. What is that? You no, know? definitely not. Yeah, um,
1: you know, well, at the time I had no, I don't remember what I said. Right. Uh, I, I want to say it was John scout and he's like, you yeah, know, so I sc- scuttlebutt is you're the dark horse to win the match. And so I remember his question, but I had no idea what he <laughs> we'll had. We'll
0: have to go back and get John to post that at some point. There'll just some, go through some archives and find out what that was. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm
1: pretty sure my dad's like running <laughs> intervention so He doesn't mess up with my match or something. It was, it was pretty common. And
0: that's funny you said that. Was your dad a pretty um
1: pretty stern when it came to practice and training, when you really got serious about it? uh, Not really. Uh, All the practice that that I remember doing was, you know, because I wanted to go to the range and, and shoot. Okay. Um, and he would come to to some practices early on, but I think mm-hmm. for the most part, uh, I was just out there either by myself or with some other like local friends that I kind of right.
0: shot with. So when you won 2010 nationals, what what was mom and dad's response? how that, what that? Oh, become? they were ecstatic. They were super proud. I I were, like they, cool were, they, were they both there? They were that's so cool very cool you have any siblings
1: I do I've got an older brother and a younger brother okay uh, my older brother Eric does like IT computer stuff and okay. my little brother is actually a, a blacksmith how, well that's pretty cool I know, <laughs> it's kind of different <laughs> yeah, it is how
0: how did the rest of the family respond were they in a situation where they were happy for you or was there some sibling rivalries because more attention is being given over here you know what does that look like for having uh-huh. other siblings that don't compete like that so
1: we actually all did our own thing so okay. my older brother Eric shot a lot of three position small bore so precision rifle mm-hmm. um, I did like the steel and the USPSA style competitions Mm -hmm. and then my little brother Peter sort of did both right um does he make knives or anything yeah no he makes knives he makes you know wrought iron gates and you know staircases and fences. And, oh, wow. You know, he's he's it, really good at weight.
0: Is he in Arizona as well? He is. So he's out there when somebody that retires wants to redo all their stuff, making the money on that side. Right. That's, yeah. That's, <laughs> it's a big market. I've seen, I travel around a lot and you can see some special artwork that gets done with um, blacksmithing people that do that. So that's, that's cool. cool. So that is cool. Um. So what was, after you won nationals, is, were you wearing just your, you know, your, your eyes odd t-shirt? What were you, what you know, were you, you know, were sponsors coming, running around? What did that look like for sponsors? When they, when they start knocking on your door, after Nationals or before?
1: Um, so I actually shot for for uh, Matt McLaren for, for quite a while. Okay. Um, and I shot limited division for the most part. Um, I dabbled in open, even though I'm not very good at it. Mm-hmm. I think my best open finish at Nationals is sixth. What open guns did you shoot? Uh, Matt McLaren.
0: Matt McLaren. Yeah. Good deal. Did you get involved with other shooting teams besides that?
1: I did. Um, so I shot for Terran Tactical for several years. Okay. Um, so I shoot, you know, as you know, I shoot some multi-gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in 2000, I think it was 13 or 14. I think it was 2013. Um, I shot the, U- the USPSA multi-gun nationals in uh, Las Vegas. How'd you do there? Uh, I actually uh, edged Daniel Horner out by a fraction of a percent. <laughs> oh, wow.
0: <laughs> so when you went, was how, what was that like going from just shooting pistol to three-gun,
1: you know, were you taught by Taryn to do a lot, do some of the stuff? Who taught no, you how to do I, that? So I wasn't never taught by Taryn. Uh, so at the time, in 2013, uh, was, there was a local rifle manufacturer uh, that built me a rifle um, called Sun Devil Manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they're no longer a business now, but uh, they, they built me my first rifle and kind of got me into three guns. Because that's right. You said
0: you took no training, but how did you learn the quad load on your own? Or you just
1: always shot well, open? This is 2013. So, okay. you know, the cat's meow was load four weekend. Or you know some so when I started three gun it was loading off a side saddle and a bandolier okay it was really the dark ages of multi gun okay <laughs> but it was back during
0: also some of the bigger times of multi gun as well yes. correct yeah so that's back when um, three gun nation was around Were so this was before part of
1: this was before three gun nation and I okay. never competed in any of the three gun nation shoot offs or matches just because right. I usually focused on like the pistol side of things just like okay. I do now so you dabbled in three
0: gun mm. one. And then went back to pistol again.
1: Well, I, so I still dabble in three gun, like two or three times a year. Mm-hmm. Like we've got a large multi-gun match called the superstition three gun in Arizona that right. I shoot a year, every year, multi-gun nationals whenever I can, when scheduling doesn't conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe one or two others throughout the year, but most of what I do is pistol. Wow. So you're in a situation where,
0: when did Canic come around? Because that's one of those things that, you know, everybody, nobody really knew who canic was mm-hmm. and you. Until they, you know, unless uh, before my time, I didn't know what kinetic so
1: was. So in the but. competition world, um, like they had been around, but you're right, it wasn't extremely popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my relationship with Koenig started in 2019. Okay. So they actually reached out to me, and they're like, "Hey, you know, would you be interested in you know some sort of you know sponsorship? Would you like to shoot our gun?" And I'm like, I, "I don't know. I've never shot one. Why don't you send me a couple, and I'll let you know." <laughs> so they just reached to you out of the blue. They did. And what were you shooting before then? At the time, I would have been shooting probably limited division with uh with uh, Matt McLaren. Okay. So
0: that conversation with Matt had to be kind of different right so because he's been with you since the beginning i don't i don't know the history of of that of that firearm company that's why i'm asking that question right so
1: so yeah matt mclaren does custom 1911s and 2011s okay and uh he's actually the only person as far as i know to build and win nationals and the ipsic world championship in the same year with a gun that he built really yeah wow so not only is he one of the world's best 1911 gunsmiths but he's also an extremely accomplished shooter. Well, I see I just
0: I don't know a lot about him so I don't know where that, that where that story should go there. So that's so cool. When did that did, is that something that he wanted to do? Is that a, is that a goal he had or is it just something that just happened to happen?
1: So at the time the way he explained it to me was he, he you know, nobody else could build a gun that needed that, you know, could do what he needed it to do. Mm-hmm. So he built, I think, on a Caspian frame, um, you know, his version of an open gun at the time mm-hmm. and beat everybody.
0: Wow. That's pretty cool. I'd like to meet him sometime.
1: Um, but to answer your earlier question, what did Matt think when? Yes, because that's what so, was going back to. So in 2019, Kanik approached me asking if I wanted to represent them. And I'm like, I don't know. Right. Like, send me a couple of guns. Let me see if they're something that I can use that I'm competitive with that is going to hold up because mm-hmm. I'm not going to represent a company you know, no matter how much they pay me for. Well, unless it was, you know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know, I want to be competitive. And it's, you know, this is what I do, you know, for fun. and And I care a lot about this. So I'm not going to represent a company that can't produce a pistol that, you know, can do what I need it to. Right. So I shot their gun for two or three months and called him back. I'm like, hey, this could work. So based on
0: that could work. And it was a, you know, in, in some worlds that you hear, you know, people all the steel gun, you know, the fantastic plastic. You hear all the things about it. What did
1: Matt think? Did you take it to Matt to even get any feedback? Or did you I just, did. OK. Yeah. Like, what did that, that no, look like? So before I signed with Canic, I actually had a, a conversation with Matt. Mm-hmm. Cause Matt and I are also very good friends. We still okay. are. Oh, wonderful. Um, and he's not the kind of guy that, you know, is, is like that. Right. But he's very supportive and he always wanted the best for me. Right. So he's actually very happy um, with everything that happened for me. Cool.
0: Let's take a minute from our sponsor break and we'll come back into that conversation. This week's podcast is brought to you by Gold. Kona Gold is a premier lifestyle brand for those who work hard and play harder. There are many hemp companies out there that get lost in the crowd, but Kona Gold sets the gold standard with its premier line of products. When traveling all around with a magical mystery tour to different matches, I travel around with lots of different flavors, including pink grapefruit, candy apple, and vanilla cherry. Make sure to stop by and get some for yourself. They are all zero calories, zero sugar, use organic hemp, and are THC and CBD free. Competitive shooters love them because there's no shakes, no headaches, and no crash. When you order from conigoldhemp.com, make sure to use discount code HUNTERSHD for another 20% off. So where is Canik out of? So Kanik is based out of Turkey. They're
1: in Samson, Turkey, Okay, which is northern Turkey.
0: Oh, I have no idea. We're going <laughs> to talk about that in a second. I got a whole other story about the uh, other side of the world. But, you know... A, a, a company where where are they where, US importer? How does that work? So Century Arms is the US importer for Canic. Okay. Did somebody from Century Arms contact you to know about this? Or did canic contact you? Somebody from Turkey? What does this look like when somebody wants to
1: Century, yeah, essentially okay, Century, Century Arms. So okay. so essentially you know people there? Uh at the time, no. Okay. Uh but no, Century and Canic. Really, you know, work hand in hand uh, as a team okay. uh, for the U.S. market and also international.
0: OK, so you started shooting cannon uh-huh. and was there contracts involved in, at this point of the career that laid a bunch of stuff out or was it just kind of like here's some guns go shoot or is it a simple thing or is it more detailed than that? <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, there were, there were a couple of things that I had to to sort out and put in order. Um, but fortunately all the sponsors I had were very understanding and, mm-hmm. you know, they, there were some contractual things that they were very gracious and let me, uh, kind of skip out on. Right. Um, so yeah, they were very supportive when you, so
0: you weren't really hired by Canik to begin with. You shot with them for a while or do you actually get hired on what does so, that look like? Because there's, there's, there's so many variables here, I'm sure right. that people just don't know or understand.
1: So in 2019, they sent me a pair of guns uh, and I just shot locals with them and I shot them in you know, limited in production and carry optics mm-hmm. um, just to see what they're capable of, see what their limits were, if any. Um, and then I called him back and I'm like, hey, this can work. And, and at that point, we started working on contracts.
0: Cool. So it pretty much became almost like a employee... Relationship from the very beginning. It did, yeah.
1: So I'm what, actually. What, okay. what kind of work were you doing before then? Then. So at the time, I was working for ASM Precision Ammunition. So I was running their uh, their ammunition department. Okay. Um. So yeah, and before that, I was working at a uh, large firearms retailer in the Arizona area. Okay. So I'd always been in the firearms world, mm-hmm. but this was the first time it was I had the opportunity to to work full time for a firearms manufacturer. Wow. Does. So this talks about a, you know the, the job, or it talks about the
0: career. This is this is a whole different spectrum of what you're doing. Then, so did you when it first started? Did you go? They want you to go to Turkey to begin with, or is that something that came later?
1: So I went to Turkey fairly early on. I can't okay. remember the exact date, but uh, I immediately jumped in, and started shooting local competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my first big match was the Magnus Cup uh, that was in the U.S. And then I started shooting, um, you know, production and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure that first year I did have a trip to Turkey and we did some R&D stuff on, you know, new prototypes that now have actually come out. And we just released the Rival uh, in January of this year. right? And uh, so it's our new Stryker-fired Palmer frame um, redesigned for USPSA and Ipsic. You helped design <laughs> a lot of that yourself?
0: Yep. So what, tell me about your first trip to Turkey. Is that the first time you've gone out of the country or anything? Or is what did that look like?
1: So it wasn't the first time I've gone out of the country. So in 2014... I don't know if it was 14. No. So the Ipsic World Shoot in France, okay. which I think was 2017. Uh, would have been my first trip outside the country. Okay, so this was my second.
0: So let's step on that for a little bit because I didn't wasn't aware you did a world shoot. When
1: you that was when you were shooting limited. So yeah, I shot primarily limited division um, from like 2010 to to 2018 19. Right. How'd you finish your first world shoot? So that would have been the match in Florida uh, in 2014. Okay. Uh, so okay. that was standard division, which is IPSC version of limited. Right. Uh, and I actually won the IPSC World Championship in limited division. Well,
0: <laughs> just, so <laughs> I've got to do my history more. But this is why I do my this is why I do the show, because I don't know a lot about people. So that you won the world
1: shoot. I did. Out of the blue. Just like where you was. You, you know, what? what how. Uh, so I was wow. fortunate. So I I had the opportunity to shoot on the U.S. Standard team. So mm-hmm. my teammates, I hope I get this right, were Dave Savigny, Robert mm-hmm. Vogel. And Manny Bragg. Okay. Pretty sure I got that right. Yeah. Um. So we all shot uh, standard division. And uh, I want to say it was me and Vogel were first second. Wow. How'd that make you feel? That was awesome. No, that was, that was a really incredible experience. And IPSC just makes everything, it's just bigger than USPSA. did it, it, it. So your first world shoot was in the United
0: States. Did it feel like the world shoot? Being in the United States, it did. okay, yeah, good. Absolutely. I was just curious about that because you know I've gone to a lot of matches myself, and some matches just feel like a like a regular you know section match, and yeah. so that's why I asked that question. So no, it, it
1: felt good. It absolutely did. Um, so the the opening ceremony, they had a, a little parade, you know, through town, mm-hmm. and we uh, you know they had you know, fireworks and a water show on the lake, and mm-hmm. it was a pretty impressive display. And the Ipswich president uh, came out and gave a little speech for everybody. Uh, but no, it definitely felt like a, a world championship. Nice. And when you went to France? It was even better. <laughs> that's where I was going to go if it was about
0: the same or if it was even better. So yeah, that's, it was better.
1: So how did you finish in France? I want to say I finished third. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure Eric Ruffell won that year. Uh, and it may have been Vogel that finished second again, but it could have also been Shane Cooley. I'm right. really bad at that. Oh, wow. But I think I finished third. But
0: did it, so it, is it, you said even better. What made it? Was it because you were out of the country just having like... Is it, it, it better just being in a different country or just better being
1: the way it was set up? What just made it better? I mean, there's something cool about not being able to read road signs. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but uh, they did a really good job in France. Um, so it was in Châteauroux, France uh, at a, a decommissioned military base or like an Air Force base kind of thing. So it was a really impressive shooting facility, really cool range. Mm-hmm. Um, and their award ceremony and their opening ceremony were, you know, just just grander. Wow. All right. Well, get back to kanik again. I just want to take a little detour real quick. When you told me about World
0: Shoot, I wasn't aware of those details. Congratulations. Thank you. Did When you finished in um, the third, was it a punch in the gut? Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. That was disappointing. Yeah. But what can you do?
0: Well, I, now, do, you know, know, in situations like that, everybody can go back and look. Was it one of those things where you felt that it wasn't as fast or not as accurate? Yeah. <sighs>
1: I don't know. I think I've tried to blank it from my memory.
0: Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) It never happened. Third place is the third one to lose. I get it. (laughs) Well,
1: if you're going to lose to somebody, Eric Rafal is not exactly a slouch. Right. Have you met him before that match? I had. Okay. Eric's a really good guy. and. I think if you didn't know him personally, like mm-hmm. he may come across a little arrogant because, right. you know, he's arguably the best shooter in the world. Right. Uh, so rightfully slow. But he's a super cool guy.
0: That's so cool. Let's go back to Turkey real quick. You're you're in a situation and you're going to go to Turkey. What did that conversation look like with the family?
1: <laughs> um, I don't know. Was, at the time, Um, I mean, Jessica and I were... Uh, dating okay. and uh, living together. Uh, so it was more a conversation between us. Okay, did uh, she go with you? She did not. Okay. Uh, she did have the opportunity to come with me to Turkey last year. Right. So it was kind of a, a cool trip experience for both of us cool. to to go and and do some R and D stuff. We also did some training with the team. Now was she shooting? Also, did you meet her on the on the? On the course, or I met her when I was working uh, at the uh, the gun store. Um, so she came in; she needed ammo for some Canadian friends who were shooting IPSC. Really, and uh, that's a whole story. She wasn't a itself. shooter. She was a shooter, but she wasn't a competitive shooter. She was buying ammo. She was buying ammo for her friends. You were behind the counter. I was passing by when she asked somebody else about IPSC ammo, and I'm like, hey, she's really cute. Holy
0: <laughs> g- There's a whole story here, I'm sure, that I'm going to oh, yeah. dabble in for a little bit. So, whatever you allow me to dabble into. Sure. But you're working at a gun store. Mm-hmm. Somebody walks in, you hear him talk about ammo and wow, there she is.
1: Tell me more. Where did this this go? This was during uh, kind of one of the ammo shortages. Uh, So we were limiting ammo to like one or two boxes a day per person. Okay. And her friends, uh, Phil Reddy and um, Keith. What is Keith's last name? Not Garcia, is it? No. Okay. So a couple of really cool guys out of Canada. Okay, cool. Uh and they were coming down oh, to the shoot, Can- Okay, the Canadian. Okay. Right. Continue. They were coming down to shoot Spring Steel, which is our Arizona's largest steel championship. Mm-hmm. So it's like Tuesday night steel on steroids. Mm-hmm. Uh so we do that once a year. Um so I had her give them my email address and they contacted me and actually, you know, got all their ammo squared away because they're competition shooters. You got to take care of your own. Right. You saw that. Right. Absolutely. Did she know who you were? She had no idea. (laughs) In fact, um, when she sent them an email about me, she's like, like, or they go, wait, is he like tall and skinny and like... (laughs) She's like, yeah, I guess. Like, was his name Nils Jonasson? I'm like, Yeah, how'd you know? Like, well, he's just qualified for the US standard team for the world championship and blah blah blah. So they knew who I was, but she right. had no idea. Right. Um, and she's like, no, he's just some dorky skinny kid behind the counter. I'm like, what <laughs> do you want? <laughs> that's awesome. Continue. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but uh, so she actually. Um, so her friends came down I got them set up with ammunition and her one stipulation was if she got this ammo squared away for them that they would take her with to their competition so she actually came with to watch them shoot spring steel okay and uh, I had them shoot with me at the match uh, so we
0: you knew she was going to be there and you had them shoot with you because of that
1: I don't know if I knew she was going to be there but uh, once she was there obviously you know you gotta
0: (laughs) okay so let me take you to your mindset because i've watched you shoot for over three years now and i've watched when i you, you've seen me walk around during when matches are going on and i know who to walk up to and who to walk away from real quick because the people are focused and you were extremely focused when you shoot and i i, I recognize that and a lot of other people do as well where'd your focus go that day when she's there shooting watching you shoot for the first time you remember or was uh-huh. it or was it a big deal
1: I don't remember my focus being pulled away, really. So I know what you're but getting you knew at. She was there. Oh, of, course, exactly. of course. So um, I do know that she was pretty impressed with uh, my shooting. OK. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure I won the match that year. So that's, been... <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But uh, no. So we had a good time. Uh, and then I didn't see her for quite a while. And we happened to run in each, into each other like that Valentine's Day mm-hmm. um, at the at the gun club. And I was practicing getting ready for a three game match. And she was blowing off steam for reasons that i'm not going to talk about fair
0: enough enough.
1: (laughs) and uh, i ended up inviting myself to her girls night out uh valentine's dinner right (laughs) and uh we just kind of shot together for the next nine months that's so cool then she finally agreed to date me. So kind
0: of... <laughs> after nine months, nine months, yeah, I worked hard. <laughs> yes, exactly. She was filling me out for a while. <laughs>
1: well, that's so cool. Great story.
0: So you're in a situation where you're going to Turkey for the first time, just to meet people or to help design. What did that look like? What, what was your, what was the intention of the trip?
1: So it was, there are two intentions. One was for me to get a lay of the land and see their manufacturing practices and that type of thing, okay. but also do product development and, and, and build new platforms okay
0: so you've seen lots of manufacturing places i'm sure throughout the united states and you've now been to turkey what was the biggest difference you saw when you were there
1: uh the scale for one uh, and also the level of automation that they've got set up okay so it's not just you know endless fields of cnc machines although they have that mm-hmm. but they've got a lot of um, like robotic arms and things you would see in like a car manufacturing facility okay building guns and barrels and that type of thing
0: do you how does that allow for inspection when it comes to stuff like that. Cause you got a lot of stuff in auto, you know, stuff like that. And then of course, you know, I've been to a couple of car factories. I lived in Bowling in Kentucky. So I've been to Corvettes. I've been living in Tuscaloosa, been in Mercedes. I've seen some of these places work and there's always that place where somebody gets to a certain point and they're like, Either it gets thrown away Mm. because we're not going to reuse it or it continues down the path. How does that work with a gun through that process? As far
1: as just the QC check Mm -hmm. through the manufacturing process. So, they'll actually do uh, spot checks, um, but then every gun is also inspected uh, for a final QC. And they do a lot of quality control checks um, with uh, just laser inspection machines. So, that's done by automated process. So, it was very impressive when you Mm -hmm. were there. Yeah. Wow.
0: That was the first time. So, the second time you went was to help...
1: Design. That was, yeah, it was to continue just building, you know, new product lines that we've got coming in. So what kind of and feedback do they want
0: from you when it comes to, you know, design and, you know, your, your, you know, the, the nil special? What right. does that look like?
1: Well, so you have to understand in Turkey, um, guns are very different than in the United States. Tell me more. So in Turkey, uh, for an individual like you or me to own a firearm, you would have to be independently wealthy. It's okay. a very expensive endeavor. Um, so to put it in perspective, it would be the equivalent of buying, you know, a gun for $20,000 instead of 500 Okay. And then you have to maintain licenses that you renew every one or two years. That's also in the thousands of dollars for okay. this license. All right. And you're limited on ammunition and magazines. So, so it's a very expensive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result of that, they don't have the firearms culture that we do here. So... Uh, my role is not only to bring like the competition world to Turkey, but also just uh, a little bit more gun knowledge in general. Have you ever
0: had times where you had to sway opinions about certain things without getting into too much detail?
1: Yeah. Cool. Uh, that can be interesting because yeah. you have to <laughs> weigh your
0: boss and you know what they think. No, I, and that's why I asked that question because yeah. they, they, they hired you. Sure as that feedback but they also hired you for real feedback and not to be that yes man either
1: well and and that's what you got to consider right because if all you're going to do is agree with what they've got going on why did they hire you okay um yeah, the, you, I, I 100% you, you agree you with you remember that. the first time you pushed back on Yeah, I can think of a, a particular instance. Yeah. OK,
0: was that how did that make you feel when you won? If you did win No, wins, not the right word when you when they understood what you were talking about. Let me rephrase that. How did it make you feel that you were able to convince an entire manufacturing company that your way was the right way? What did that make you feel like?
1: So at the time, I didn't, it didn't really feel like that big of an accomplishment, like okay. it, for whatever reason, um, I did have the opportunity to go to dinner, um, with the owner of the company, uh, later during that trip. And, uh, he gave me a really good explanation of, um, um, how he expected people to perform their tasks. If so, if they were in charge of a particular department or if they had a particular role, if they knew something was wrong and they didn't address it, or they didn't do everything in their power to bring it to somebody's attention, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's almost worse. That is worse than them having a problem to correct. Right. right? Wow.
0: That's pretty cool. How
1: was the food? Delicious, really? Oh yeah,
0: no. Turkish food is amazing, and they've got great wine. Great wine. <laughs> so, is this the the first trip you had to wine, or the second trip with with Jessica? Yeah, uh, the wine.
1: Probably both. Both.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One we'll talk about. So, how did how did what was jessica's How did she feel about going to Turkey with you? Was that just like a a vacation slash work, or is it just all business? What did that look like?
1: It was, it was a combination of both. So she also got to tour the facility and, mm-hmm. and meet all the people. Uh, and then we went to their, um, their range, their shooting facility, uh, and worked with their team, uh, that's based out of Turkey, uh, with some just shooting fundamentals and that type of thing. And she helped a lot with that. Is there a lot of women shooters there that you were working with as well or mainly
0: males no it's a combination of both okay yeah. cool. i didn't know i don't know i've never had the you know luxury or opportunity to be in a situation to travel to see that that's why i asked that question in turkey i didn't know so did, did did she have a blast she did no we had a good time that's awesome
1: and unfortunately this was during kind of the COVID lockdown yeah, I so remember. when I remember. we when we came back to to istanbul um, we had enough time to do some touristy stuff, but all of that was shut down. Really? So unfortunately, we didn't get to do a whole lot of touristy activities during that trip. Um,
0: is the owner looking forward to you coming back? I hope so. Nice. I mean, I'm always looking forward to barbecue at Uku's house. Right. You no, know, Because you do a lot with um, all the, you know, shot shows and NRAs and all the events around, you know... Did y'all do SHOT Show last year? Which one? Which one? This year. Yeah, this year. What was it like this year, in your opinion, with SHOT Show, with it being less people? Did you seem to get more business done?
1: So, I think we had a really good show. Um, there were... There's definitely a slowdown as far as foot traffic, yes. just because there were less people. Um, but the the number of people that were there for a purpose was higher. All right. So I think we we had at least as good a show as we normally would, and I think it was more enjoyable. Now, are you in charge of the the, the shooting team for Kanik as well? So technically, I'm the shooting team captain, okay. uh, and we have a couple guys uh, in the United States, um, but it's still it's still developing.
0: Okay, cool. Do you
1: look to grow that? more in the United States? Is, is is that your responsibility? So we don't have any hard plans at the moment, but it's something that we're, you know, possibly interested in, in the future.
0: Let me ask you a question as a, as a, as a professional shooter, I think we can say, a world champion shooter. <laughs> I know we can say now. Um, with all the people that you see coming up in different age groups, different you know, backgrounds, different everything, different... What do you look for if you had to responsible for putting a team together, what 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 do you what do you what do you look for in the shooter? Because the reason I'm asking you that question, I'll give you time to think about it while I'm rambling, is there's so many people that may want to get picked up by this company, this company, or even Canik one day, but they don't really understand what it takes. They understand, they see what they see on social media, but what would somebody of your stature and where you're at now in your shooting career, what, what would somebody like you look for?
1: So I think shooting ability is, is extremely important. Um, but if all you are is a good shooter and you don't have the ability to communicate and hold yourself to like a certain efficacy at a a major competition Mm -hmm. uh, and just interact with people in a positive way. I think those are as important as shooting ability. Mm -hmm. Um, I think higher scores, you know, add to somebody's notoriety and, and probably makes them more marketable. But if you can't talk to somebody, if you can't, you know, interact in a positive way, it's kind of useless. Good deal. Good deal. Good,
0: good food for thought for people. That's why I want to ask that question.
1: Um, You've taken Canic to the top
0: of in, in different divisions and different things to, you know, um, to perform at certain levels where, with your shooting ability. Do Does Canic put pressure on you to be there? Or does you put that pressure on you to be there more?
1: Um, I mean, they have a certain expectation uh, when I go to a major match, but I think I put way more pressure on myself than they ever could. Okay. Um. Yeah. i I was lucky enough last year to actually win the USPSA production national. That's right. Um, That's right. so that is the first uh, national championship that I won with the Canic SFX. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was pretty pleased with that last yeah. year,
0: but you've, you've come in some, some second places that have just been astonishing shooting minor. And, you know, everybody knows a lot of people know the story and stuff like that, but you know, what's your next goals for Canik? Where do you want to, where do you want to do next?
1: So we still have some stuff coming through as far as uh, uh, products and development, um, but we just came out with the new brand, the new rival, mm-hmm. uh, which we're super excited about. The trigger system is actually better than the trigger system of, from the original SFX, mm-hmm. which is tough to do out of the box. Um, so, it's, it's
0: completely competition ready?
1: It is absolutely competition ready. Okay. Uh, I've got, like, for 120 bucks, you could do what I've done to my pistol and, mm-hmm. you know, like, in the configuration I shot today. So, that brings up another great question because you're shooting a gun that is
0: canning, that is production and different divisions, of course, but you just said it was only 125 bucks to get your gun the exact same way. Mm -hmm. Cause there's a lot of people out there that shoot for other companies and everything else that do all kinds of things that, you know, that gun's not available and that you want to go spend all this extra money. So did They require you to keep the amount at just where it's at 125 bucks and keep it very minimal. Or is that something you wanted to do to keep it very minimal for people to be able to purchase this gun like it is and be able to be just as competitive as if their skills are there with the gun?
1: They don't have any limitations as far as what I can modify in the platform. Okay, Um, so that's that's a me thing. Like once I have a setup that I'm comfortable with and works 100 percent, I really don't change a whole lot.
0: Cuz what's what's MSRP on the rival? What is that? It's like know? 679. Exactly. Like so for less than 800 bucks <laughs> you're in a situation to have the gun just like yours that, you know, that, that, that that wins. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty impressive.
1: Well, another cool thing we were able to do. So the holster I shot at Steel Challenge this weekend uh, is the same holster that comes with the pistol. Really? Yeah. So I put it on a, a different hanger. So I have the boss hanger, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's the holster body that comes with the kit from the factory. That's pretty cool. So yeah, you don't have to go out and spend a whole bunch of extra money to come and have fun.
0: That's, that's very important. (laughs) What do you, do you, you know, you're, you're, You've been doing this for 20 years now. You see everything that's happening um, around gun rights. You travel to other states, you travel to other countries, of course. Where do you see your role or do you see some kind of role where you where you fit in with the Second Amendment and making sure we don't have any issues with that? Do you see yourself playing a bigger role one day with the Second Amendment or is it kind of, you know, have you you even thought about that before?
1: I have thought about it and it's possible at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what I could do right now. Now that other people aren't already doing, okay, Um, but it's possible
0: in the future. It reason I ask that question is there's just so much stuff is happening from from state to state, and even now from county to county. And you listen, I listen to a lot of local podcasts from different places. I travel all the time, and it's just crazy what happens. So, where you're at in Arizona, is everything pretty pretty cool? Common collective there with with gun rights.
1: It is. Um, I mean, technically, we voted for Biden Mm -hmm. for whatever that's worth, right? Um, But that's because we live right next to California, right? But no, firearms are are pretty widely accepted in Arizona. They have been for decades and decades. Are you seeing a lot of people move in from other states that aren't as
0: gun friendly, trying to change things?
1: So I see a lot of people moving in from other states like California. Uh, but I'm still holding out hope that they move because they can't stand their policies and are fed up with it and okay. want a change. Because that's but, where
0: a lot of stuff is going to actually have to change versus locally before yeah. it goes up. That's why I asked that question. Well, good. What's next for Canic? You got the, you know, like you said, you can get into the shooting sports for less than you know 800 bucks with everything you need what's next for canning where do you where do they want to where do they want to do with you next where you, do you see anything in the future getting bigger
1: i mean we're still working on building out our accessory line for our platforms uh and we Always have other uh, stuff uh, in the pipeline as far as R&D. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, I'm just kind of hunkering down and shooting as many matches as I can and performing as well as I can. Everything going to Thailand? Everything's still set to go to that if it happens? So Thailand's an interesting topic, and I'm kind of unsure about that at the moment. Okay. So I, I hope... I've talked to a lot of shooters that feel the same way as you. Yeah. So it's, really, it's tough. It's, it's sad. It's really messed up. Yeah. So if I had to guess, I would say if they hold the World Shoot this year, participation will be at a much lower level performance wise and just sheer numbers Mm -hmm. than it it should be.
0: Well, do you um, ever see yourself getting more involved with USPSA at an area level or anything like that? Or a section coordinator? Have you ever Um, thought about that?
1: I don't know. Um, Right now, I wouldn't have the time right. uh, to dedicate to it. Right. So I w- couldn't do it justice. Uh, but we're lucky to have some people that do volunteer their time mm-hmm. on a pretty regular basis uh, for like the national stage. Yep. You're um, still younger, but you're still the
0: future of the organization. I mean, that's why, that's why I asked that question. If you ever thought about that or just like, no, I just want to shoot and do what I do? So, <laughs> Well,
1: so running for the board or some type of elected position for USPSA is, is one way. But I think another way, and like you said, the, the local level is where stuff changes. Mm-hmm. um i have been running like uspsa matches as a match director uh for for years nice. um both like on the pistol side and also like tactical 22 rifle style matches mm-hmm. so i think that's a real important way for the younger crowd to give back to the sport because there are a lot of people that have been doing this for years and years right and like they're getting older you yep. need help.
0: What's your next goals personally? You got married not too long ago. Everything's been going great there. What's your, what's your, what goals do you have set for yourself that you want to discuss?
1: You know, not do anything stupid enough for Jessica to kill me and yeah. she- <laughs> shoot as well as I can. <laughs> but uh, no. So right now, uh, the next big championship uh, is actually the single stack nationals mm-hmm. uh, coming up at the end of uh, next month. Right. Um, Which I'm going to try and attend, uh, even though, unfortunately, Canik doesn't make a single stack. Right. Um, do they give you directions of what kind of gun they want you to shoot because they don't have a single stack? Is there something that Century Arms
0: has they want you to, to try, or do, is it in your contract? You're pretty much can can do what you need to do on that. What does that look like?
1: So I'm fortunate; they're pretty lenient with that type of thing. Okay, uh, there are a couple of things I need to abide by, uh, but they're they're quite lenient with you know when I need to okay. make an accommodation. So you, are you practicing a lot for that behind the scenes? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you,
0: you say that with such such <laughs> candor; it's, it's kind of funny. Do you practice a lot? Before, so major when, when I'm like practicing
1: that. for a match that's important to me, yes, okay. Uh, and by that, I would mean say production nationals last year, right. or carry optics nationals, or limited nationals. Mm-hmm. Like I'll practice for those events. Right. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have the time to practice for Steel Challenge this year. Right. Uh, so I, I can tell you, I'm very happy with my performance with that factored in. Right. Um. But uh, after single stack nationals next month, I'm pretty sure the next major match is two gun nationals. Yes. Uh, so I'll be shooting PCC and my uh, my rival SFX right. uh, at Tugan Nationals in like two two months. Yes, yeah, right around
0: the corner. We'll be here before you know it, man. Yeah. So we'll good
1: deal. Anything else we left off?
0: I, I enjoyed getting a quick history of what's going on in your world, what happened in your world. So that's pretty cool.
1: Well, I'm I'm pleased to report that I shot a personal best yesterday in Carry Optics and Steel Challenge. I shot a 90. Wow, which for me is amazing. Okay. It's no BJ <laughs> Norris, Max Michelle score, but for me exactly. it's
0: amazing. Do you, do you, do you miss that? You know seeing the BJ Norris and Max Michels at events like this or do you
1: I do okay uh, so, I mean what they can do uh, especially with their open guns or BJ with anything yeah. it seems like yeah um but you know, life, uh, life gets in the way sometimes. It does. But it seems like BJ's doing really good. Uh, physically, he's, he's uh, definitely turned the corner. Yes, he uh, is. And I think he's actually shooting open this year.
0: Yes, I think so. so that'll I be fun so. to watch. Yep. Him and Casey and everybody else getting together and seeing how that works out. Yeah. So it's going to be fun. Well, Niels, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. And if there's nothing else, we'll, we'll get it going from here. But thank you so much for watching another or listening to another episode of Hunter's HD Go Behind the Lens. And until next, time. We'll see you at the range soon. Thank you, brother.